Father, we love you. Give him a hand clap this morning. You may be seated. Hallelujah. Hmm. I know I didn't sing that really well, but uh, I still think the Lord was blessed by it. Amen. Hmm. There's something about the, those seeds, those things that get deposited in us at a young age when they kind of stir and rise up within us. We dare not ignore them. Let them have their place. Now, I don't know about you. Have you ever heard that uh, um, your voice sounds better in the shower? Has anybody ever heard that? Part of that, you're in this enclosed space. And I think somehow the water helps to, uh, even if we don't have a really good voice, it helps with that. Um, But I find that oftentimes when I'm in that place, um, and maybe it's because I'm in my most humble state before the Lord. You all understand that, right? Old hymns from when I was a kid just kind of rise up in my spirit. and I sing them out. Some of the best worship time I have is in those moments. You know, it's uh, I'm not focused. I'm not answering the phone. I'm not on Facebook. There's nothing else I'm focused on, but, you know, come on, somebody ready? Getting clean. Come on, you know what I'm talking Do you all take showers? Yeah? Oh, good, good. Um, but there's something about that, too, that I guess... You know, spirit, soul, and body just feeling a cleansing. And worship is one of the greatest ways to free your mind and your spirit and your soul. Amen? Well, listen, uh, we're in our series on spiritual warfare. How many enjoyed last week? There was a whole lot of uh, impromptu, uh, a stirring, I believe, of the spirit. Uh, I'm going to try to get to my outline here today. I don't have to necessarily, but I think it'd be good to give you some substance that you can take home and remember. Uh, now, my wife is one of my greatest cheerleaders when it comes to just preach. Don't, don't have notes in front of you. Uh, but, at, hey, 23 years of doing this, uh, i got to tell you right now, man, it's, it's so easy for those old stories to rise up and you start sharing them and you can share them and go back to them over and over and over again. And then people just get bored. Like, Pastor, I've heard this story a thousand times. And so you have to study and, and have some substance. And to me, when I do the outlines, I want to send you home with um, uh, something that gives you the simplicity of application of what you're hearing. So I am going to share some things with you today. Over the course of the next couple weeks, um, uh, I'll be preaching next week, uh, and then I think it'll be the 30th. Is that correct? Uh, The 30th, I'll be in Fort Collins, Colorado, preaching for a guy that used to be our youth pastor here, his name's Rob Bray. Uh, he actually was a speaker at our uh, at movement uh, for our young adults. We took out to Anaheim, California, and uh, he planted a church in Fort Collins and uh, going really well and asked if I'd come up and, and speak for him. Rob's been like a, well, he's been a spiritual son. Um, he uh, has sought me as a spiritual father, and those times when he's like, hey, man, what do I do about this or whatever? He's got other people in his life, but... But he'll pick up the phone and call me at times and ask if I'd speak into situations for him. But it's a joy to be a part of the greater, come on somebody, the greater body of Christ. Not just that we're here, but we are out there. Amen. Uh, I know I speak about it a lot, uh, about our Jerusalem, our Judea, our Samaria, the other most parts of the earth. We are not called to stay. We are called to go. Amen. We have a wonderful congregation down in Largo, Florida. Um, they're doing amazing. Last week, I shared a little bit about uh, a guy that uh, Warren and I both got saved under, Pastor Warren, I should say. We both got saved under Marty Younger. Uh, he's 
preached down there this morning, really, really good message, and uh, it's, it's kind of neat. I get to watch that message online before I come into this message, but I kind of have to make sure that I'm not hearing that message, and that's, that's all of a sudden, that's what you're hearing, and, um, and stay on course, but uh, he'll be here in June of, uh, of next year, and uh, we'll be here for uh, three weeks uh, in preaching, and you'll get to, to get a lot of substance from him. Uh, powerful man of God, more than 50 years in ministry, and uh, consistently serving the Lord. How many of you know that's not real common in ministry? Most pastors only make it four years and then throw in the towel. <laughs> and the reason why is, is there's a lot of uh, spiritual warfare, I would say, number one. Uh, number two, I would say there's a lot of demand. But that's the reason why team ministry is so important, because the, the Western model of ministry uh, oftentimes has is, is been just the, um, the demand uh, breaks the back of leaders because they, are not, they were never meant to carry everything. Can you give me an amen on that? One leader is never meant to carry everything. We all have gifts that differ, and ministry should always be done from a standpoint of teamwork. Uh, in doing that, that unity is, is the hardest thing to keep because we all do have different gifts, and we have different ways of ministering. And so, you know, uh, you can have members of the congregation even that, well, I like this person or I like that person. Do you all feel like that's uncommon from, from the Bible? Have you ever heard, I'm of Paul and I'm of Apollos? You ever heard that statement? That's a scripture, actually. Paul the Apostle then exhorts the people of God and says, were you baptized into Paul? Were you baptized into Apollos? Or were you baptized into Christ? Now, here's... Here's how that works, right? I might be important to this congregation, but I'm not that important. Hear me. I might be important, but I'm not that important. And that oftentimes what happens is, is that it can be the focus on that person is the only person that can bring that. Because the people, look, people want a king. Israel gave us that example, right? God wanted to lead them, and they said, well, give us a king like the other nations, and Saul, they get Saul, right? And so the reason why I say that is because I believe one of the ways that the enemy um, overcomes what the church is meant to do, the way the enemy uh, pushes us back through spiritual warfare is we don't have the full engagement of the multiplicity of ministry, the way Jesus designed his church. And so you need leaders, say plural. <laughs> Come on, be with me today, say plural. Right? Leadership is meant to be plural in the body of Christ. And so uh, Pastor Warren's uh, probably, without question, one of the men I respect most in my life over the years. Why? He and I have uh, gone, we could say, through hell and high water, right? We've walked through the ups and downs. Uh, we've, uh, one of the terms we'd use in the mil military is, is um, we've taken fire together and we've given fire together. You got me? And so we have definitely fought the good fight, and uh, we still have a race in front of us. But one day that race will come to an end. Warren's old. <laughs> not really. He's not old, old, but he's getting there, right? Uh, what'd you say? You feeling it? Oh, you do. I just got to tell you, young people enjoy it because after 45, man, it's rough. <laughs> uh, but I would say this, that um, I have less time to serve in ministry than I had when it began. And so 
they say success is not success without successors. So we're always looking for who's the next leaders to be trained up because one day um, we won't be around to lead. And so how do you model it in such a way for people to, to grow and to learn? And, and so recently we've seen a number of the young adults, another, um, I would say, uh, uh, early middle-aged uh, saints stepping up and taking responsibilities and leading the way. And I want you to just put your hands together and just applaud them for their service to this congregation. Uh, we, ha we have a pre-service meeting that we do. Um, and so I'll walk out of my office and walk into this outer office. And uh, normally I walk into about seven to ten people in the room. And today I walked into the room and there's as many standing as there were seated. I think there was almost 20 people in that room. And I was like, were we having church in here today? And yes, we were. So, uh, but they're leading and they're serving and they're, they're serving you. Uh, they're serving our children. They're serving our youth. They're serving in worship. Didn't the worship team do a great job today? Amen. Uh, but I want you to know that those of you that are sitting out there and you don't have a lane that you're running in, you're not, not sure what your gifts are, you have a place to serve in the body of Christ as well. Because there are more people in Colorado Springs that are on the pathway to hell than there are on the pathway to heaven. And they need a church that's fully engaged, a church that loves on God like you did this morning in the midst of worship, and a church that will love uh, on each other, that then they, when they walk in, what they encounter is they encounter agape love manifest, God's kind of love manifest in the earth through the church. And then when I say that, like we come together in this building, but we are the living stones, one set upon another, that we might come, become a place of, of habitation of God in spirit. That's what the scriptures say, that we're being assembled together, each one a living stone to make a place for God to inhabit by his spirit. So, so if you think about the relationships and the way that we come in here together and love on God and love on one another, he inhabits us by his spirit. His presence is there. And anyone who would encounter that that would be in the room, they experience that God is in us of a truth, the way the Bible says. But once we go out there, we carry his presence with us. We carry his presence Everywhere we go, into our homes, into the marketplace, in our jobs, in our schools, wherever we may go, that God's presence goes. And I know this congregation has heard me say it many times, but my, one of my favorite scriptures is that the kingdom of God is in you. That the kingdom of God resides in you. Therefore, wherever you go, the kingdom has come upon them. So let God's kingdom residing in you have a revelation of what that means that when you come upon someone that does not know Christ, the kingdom of God has not been manifest in them, but the kingdom of God now has come upon them. And that to witness the message of Christ in you, the love of Christ manifest out of you, the, the mercy, the grace, and the truth manifest from your life that they too might sense that invitation of the Holy Spirit to come to the Lord. I know I say it all the time as well about that no man comes to the Father unless the Spirit draws them. We don't draw people to Christ. We are witnesses of Christ, what he has done in our life. Now listen, our testimony, 
Our testimony in and of itself does not lead them to Christ. It is our testimony and the blood of Jesus Christ. It's by the word of your testimony and the blood of the Lamb that we overcome the enemy. The greatest spiritual warfare that you can do, the greatest way to advance the kingdom of God and push back the kingdom of, of darkness, you know, kingdom of light and push back the kingdom of darkness is to be a witness of what Christ, the one who shed his blood on the cross, did for you. And to live that out in such a way that people see your life and they wonder at it. They wonder in a way that they want to approach you and ask you, you know, what is different? What is different about the way you approach life? I don't know about you, but when times of spiritual war, when difficult moments come, it's kind of like we can kind of associate it that it's, it's people in our life or it's situations in our life. But as I said last week, you have an adversary. His name is the devil. And the Bible says he goes around as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. I would say to you, be, be, uh, be conscious of the fact that he is trying to destroy your life so that you're not disengaged from spiritual warfare. Be on your guard is what the Bible says. Be on your guard. You know, anybody ever watch uh, uh, um, uh, people who do fencing? You know, like sword play? Anybody ever see any of that fencing? You know what fencing is? You know, we wear the mask and they got the, you know. Um, if you've ever watched a show where that's going on or something like that, it's on guard, right? On guard. It's like, hey, we're about to engage in a conflict on guard. Be on guard because the enemy doesn't set back and, and uh, if you will, wait for when you're ready. And the Bible tells us to be on guard sometimes, once in a while, all the time. All the time, be on your guard because you don't know when the enemy's coming to try and kill, steal, and destroy in your life. I would say he always is. But he finds those unique moments in your life where he can get in and bring destruction. Amen. And so we're going to go to our, our passage, uh, Ephesians 6, 10 through 17. And it says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the powers of, dark, of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm. Then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, when you see that passage, a lot of times messages, we're going to break down each of those things and, and we could get there. But let me just say that, that I, want to, I want to focus on the fact that you have to know that you, you legitimately have an enemy. Because oftentimes what takes place is we can just kind of 
you know, dismiss that the devil is real because we don't see him. And we start to associate that with its people or its situations. And it's not. There is an evil force at work in this earth. There is a darkness at work in this earth. And Jesus may have overcome it, but he said this to us, right? Occupy until I come. There's a work. Occupation, when you think about it, that we need to understand that we've got, we've got the power of Christ within us to push back the forces of darkness because they are at work. And one day that will all be over. The, the false prophet, um, uh, the Antichrist, and the devil will all find their final destination in the lake of fire. And all those who followed them will find their self in that same place and that's why it's so important for us to understand that the enemy is recruiting to for us to um, live in the flesh rather than to walk after the spirit and then what ends up happening we'll war after the flesh rather than in the spirit and we end up functioning the way that he functions through people rather than allowing ourselves to be used by God and functioning the way God has called us to function can you say amen I mean, let me validate that in Scripture for you. 2 Corinthians 2, uh, 10, 3-5. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Say strongholds. Casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. What that's saying is, is that we start thinking the way that Christ thinks rather than allowing the, the, uh, the, the thoughts, the worldly thoughts rather than just our thoughts, we allow the thoughts of Christ to fill our heart. How do we get there? He is the Word. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among men. The Word of God is alive. Say alive sharper than any two-edged sword even dividing sunder separating joints from marrow and 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 soul from spirit there's the, there's this ability of the word of god that we read it it's alive it's living it speaks into your life and then there's where the holy spirit when he speaks the that living word when he speaks the living word that you're filling yourself up with and he speaks to it and it becomes rhema a revelation it becomes a word that you not only know you should live, but a word that you know by his power you can live. Oftentimes that's the case when we're, man, I just don't know if I can live up to that. I just don't know if I can live. You know that it's right. You know that it's true. It is living and it confronts us and it kind of causes that separation. It makes us look at ourselves and say, this is what Christ is like. I want to be like that. I just don't know if I can Become the Holy Spirit and speak upon you and all of a sudden you know by his power that you are able to do something that you can't otherwise. Stronghold. I want you to understand spiritual warfare. I want us to understand that we are in a battle and we have a war to fight but we need to fight it spiritually. So we've got to recognize what a stronghold is. A stronghold, Right? A prisoner locked by deception, living life by something that is not true. A prisoner locked by deception, 
living life by something that is not true. And let me submit this thought to you for a second. A person that is deceived does not know that they're deceived. See, the power of deception is this. If I'm deceived, somebody could tell me something otherwise, but I see it that way. That stronghold that would exist would cause me to say, I will die thinking this way because this is right. And yet I could be deceived. See, there are people that actually deny that Christ existed, that he gave his life on the cross to die for them. I don't believe that. I don't believe there's a God. I don't. Do you understand that the power of deception then is when they accept that lie, that they cannot see the truth. The Bible says this, that, that Satan, the devil, has blinded the eyes, right, of those that cannot see. But see, when Christ came, what happens is, see, there's the light. And when the light shines, what happens is, is there's hope for that person that's locked in deception that they too might see and come to the truth of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Well, I don't know about you, but I lived there for many years until the moment where the light shined and all of a sudden my eyes are open. Not, a, not by a, a natural power, but by God's power. As Peter, when Jesus said, who do men say that I am? Well, some say you're this person. Some say you're that person. Some say you're John the Baptist, come back from the dead. Some say, say you're, you know, Elias, you know. It, it's, it's a, who do people say that Jesus is? We can share the gospel, and it's like, well, you say that's who Jesus is, but I don't believe that. They're deceived. They're blinded. But share the gospel. Speak the living word. See, when you speak the word, you're speaking out the living word of God, there is hope for the Holy Spirit to set down on that spirituality, that the Spirit sets down on that, and all of a sudden, boom, their eyes are open. That's what happened for me. I don't know about you, but there was a point where I didn't believe in Christ and a moment when I did. Can I get an amen? And how did that happen? Oh, this person, see, they, they helped me to see. No, that person shared something where the Holy Spirit could shine, and they saw. Why? Because flesh and blood does not reveal this to you is what Jesus said. Who do men say that I am? Well, men say you're this person or this person. Who do you say that I am? Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. And how did the Father reveal that? The Father revealed that by the Spirit. There might have been Logos. Jesus was the living word. He was, Right? He was living right in front of them. But something about him living in front of them, there's a moment. Jesus didn't even say, I've revealed this to you. Nope, the Father has revealed this to you. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Speaking into Peter that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And all of us, if we are believers, have had that moment. I, growing up in the church, I heard the message. I heard about Jesus I heard about baptism, I got baptized at 12, all those things, but I didn't live my life for God because I needed the power of the Holy Spirit to make it a part of me. That it wasn't other people telling me I needed to do it, it was a revelation and a relationship that I entered into with God that cannot be, cannot be formed outside of the Holy Spirit forming it in me. And at that moment, my eyes are open. Do you know that I... Angie, you remember this, I got saved that whole, 
uh, I'm old enough that I listen to, to tapes, you know, little cassette tapes. Anybody else do that? Some of you folks are old enough, you are on eight tracks. The young people are like, what's an eight track? You know, and you think it goes to CDs and from CDs to, you know, a thumb drive or whatever. Now you just pull out your phone and download it, right? What a different world. But I remember having, you know, racks of tapes. Like, you know, you had these little slots in them. Anybody have that? Give me an amen if you had that. Slots of them. And I used to listen to White Snake. Anybody know who White Snake was? Ozzy Osbourne, um, um, Van Halen, um, huh? Poison. Um, so, so I'll never forget when I when I received Christ. Christ came into my life. It just it, the light shines in darkness, and what happens is is that that you know the darkness has to flee, right? But then I remember after all that happened, filled with the Holy Spirit, and man, I just am in love with Jesus and. I get in my car and I pop in one of those tapes. I think it might have been White Snake. I can't remember. No, actually it was um, Hotel of California. Uh, Eagles. Pop an Eagles tape in and I'm listening to it. And, uh, and you know, it's a real popular song even to today, right? Right? Um, and I'm listening to it and I've been reading my Bible. And all of a sudden, I'm hearing things like, you know, playing room in the Hotel of California. Such a lovely place, you know, da-da-da. And it gets to this part where it says, um, I called down to the uh, night man and said, please bring me my wine. He said, we haven't had that kind of spirit here since 1969. And if you know anything about the Hotel of California, it was the Church of Satan. That's where, if you will, the Church of Satan was born in America where it really started to take off in America. Give me a shout if you knew that was the case. And yet we listen to that song, and we're allowing that stuff to feed into us. It kept going, and it talks about, you know, um, they gathered for the beast. They stabbed it with their steel and knives, but they just can't kill the beast. Now it's referring to animal sacrifice that they would perform. See, and I didn't know any of that. I got to tell you, no one ever told me any of that, but I'm listening to this thing, and I got to tell you, inside of me, it's like, oh, that doesn't feel the same as it used to feel. Because I'm starting to realize this is Satan worship that that song is referring to. Some of you are out there like, Pastor, shut up, man. I like that song and you're ruining it for me. <laughs> White Snake would, you know, I can't, like I pop a different tape and I start listening. I'm like, oh my God, you know. And I start realizing you know, words have power. Words shape us. They shape the way that we think. And, and once they shape the way we think, then... They become the filter of what we allow in and what we accept. Now, if I'm ruining your music listening life right now, I'm sorry. Let me apologize for that. But I will say that we do have to be on our guard. We have to understand that the enemy knows the importance of words. You know, in the beginning, God said, say said. He spoke. Spoke words, let there be light. And on and on it goes. Words have power. And the word of God is powerful, but are you living your life by the word of God or by the words of the world or even the words of the devil that we allow in? I want to make a 
state, I'm going to make a statement, and I want to see if you're going to know where this came from. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. Where did that come from? <laughs> Very good. No. But yeah, it was probably in there, but it was before that. But most of us remember it by a movie that had come out uh, that um, Kevin Spacey was in, um, and there was a, a reference to a guy by the name of Kaiser Slose. Anybody ever heard of Kaiser Slose? Y- y'all don't know what I'm talking about, or you do? No. Wow. Unusual Suspects was the movie. And basically, the way it played out was is um, Verbal Kent is the act uh, is the character's name and. Kevin Spacey played that part. But the most, the modern hearing of that where people today would know that statement comes from that movie, but that's not where it come, came from. Came, uh, from. came from a guy by the name of Charles Baudelaire. You know, if you think of Satan as a fallen angel, right? The Bible says that he is able to transform himself into an angel of light. What would be the reason for the devil to transform him self into an angel of light to basically oh the devil doesn't exist to, to convince people well there's not real spiritual warfare the devil's not trying to wreak havoc in my life he's not trying to deceive me to ever come to that place of suspecting that let me give you another thing when you, I even think of the Tom and Jerry cartoons that I grew up with and thinking that the devil and the angels are just these cartoon characters and, and it kind of like starts to convince us like it's just fictitious stuff it's just kind of made up you know, and you got the little devil over here and the little angel over here. And, and you know, they're trying to, you know, vie for who's going to. Now, that part is true. You know, you got a demonic tutor, right? You have demons assigned to you just the way that God has assigned angels to minister to you. And the demons are trying to convince you to walk in darkness and deception while God's angels minister to you to walk in the light. But they're not fictitious. They're not little cartoon characters that are on your shoulder. These are real spiritual beings, as we read in Ephesians, that there are uh, forces of darkness, spiritual wickedness, in high places that are at work all around us. They're vying for our attention. They want to enlist our mind. They want to enlist our heart so that we carry out those instructions or directions, if you will. That's why the word of God is so important in our life if we want to do spiritual warfare. Biggest thing is to understand this. The devil's real. I'll get into that in a second. Let me give you the second word for stronghold. Stronghold, anything that exalts itself in our minds pretending to be bigger or more powerful than God. Anything that exalts itself in our minds pretending to be bigger, more powerful than our God. Jesus confronted how strongholds are built. We see that in John 8, where he says, you are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it that the devil is always speaking lies into our life. Let me give you an example. Um, I want to, for marriages, let me say it's for marriages, and you could even say it for family. Uh, 
Angie and I, I can think early on those moments when we, we, would, we would have our moments and fight like cats and dogs. Isn't that right? <laughs> can I tell them the story about Germany? Angie's like, oh, God, if you have to. Um, I was really focused on the word of God. Now, please don't judge us today according to our behavior back then. Can I get an amen? amen. All right, thank you. I really appreciate that. We're going to need grace if you hear this story. Uh, I'm wanting to read the word of God. And let me, you know, I'm pursuing God, and, but I'm keeping Angie out to like 1 a.m. Uh, some of you know who Tom Hendershot is. Tom Hendershot and I would go to like 1, 2 o'clock in the morning, man, studying the Bible, talking about God. Angie's over there like, oh, my God, i got to go home and go to sleep. I mean, 9 o'clock, man, you just set your watch by Angie head in the bed, you know. And, uh, and I'm, I'm keeping that poor woman up, you know, all hours of the night, and she doesn't function that way. I function pretty well for four hours of sleep. You know, sometimes it's six now, but I'm four to six hours of sleep, and I'm, I'm off to the races. That's pretty much my whole life. And, but her, she's like, if I don't get at least nine, you're not going to like me. And if I don't get 12 from time to time, then, you know, I'm not going to survive, right? How many, how many of those do we have that like to get their sleep? A few of you. <laughs> and you're probably married to somebody that's like, oh, come on, let's go do that. It's like, it's already late. It's bedtime. Well, this went on for a while, and uh, here I'm pursuing God, but I want to show you the power of deception. That even pursuing God like that, I'm not ministering to, I'll say, my first lamb that God gave me responsibility to cover and to, to love and to care for. And so the perception of it, and again, it's important to read the Bible, and it's important, but how the devil transforms himself to an angel of light he doesn't care how he can twist things around for you. So I'm doing all of that while I am sucking the life out of my wife. You getting me? Come on, saints, you with me? So one particular night, man, she was done. She was done with it. I know you love Jesus. I know you want to study the Bible, but you're killing me. I'm like, well, how can it kill you for me to want to know God and study the Bible and so on and so forth? How many of you have ever used Scripture to try and uh, control your spouse or somebody in your life? Oh, none of you? Well, the Bible says, right? You know, he was full of grace and truth, not just truth. Now, here I am, I'm dropping it. And now here's the funny part. I'm spending all this time with God. I'm about to share the worst part of it here for me. How many of you, if you're driving a car and you get in the flesh and you start getting angry, and you know anger is not of the Spirit of God, right? There might be righteous indignation, but it'll never cause you to disrespect or want to harm somebody in your life or even yourself. So anger is not a good thing, and it does not exhibit the, you know, uh, the character of God. But if I'm driving and I get upset, there's somehow in my mind, my thoughts, and in the way I'm feeling the anxiety of anger and all that going on, and I don't know how it translates right into my foot to the accelerator, but it does. Anybody have that problem? A few of you? And you're in Germany, and there's no speed limit. I'm good. I can be angry and drive as fast as I want to drive. And I'm cruising about 100 miles an hour around down country roads and stuff, going home in wee hours of the morning. And the faster I went, the more anxious and angry Angie became. And uh, let me just say that uh, two people who get in the flesh is worse than one person in the flesh. (laughs) 
But Angie had had enough, and uh, we were at that moment, and I'm doing this whole, well, the Bible and the Bible and the Bible, and she goes, whatever, and, you know, we're going back and forth, and I'm just translating it into the accelerator, and I'm flying, and Angie has this moment where she goes, you want to die? But she's like, slow down, slow down, you're scaring me, you're scaring me. And uh, she has this moment where she says, you want to die? Fine, let's die. She reached over and grabbed the steering wheel. Let me tell you, now I let off the accelerator pretty fast, so we slowed down, but we were probably still going about 80 miles an hour when we are heading for the ditch. And uh, um, so she grabs the wheel, and, and I will say that, how many of you know you should never slap your spouse? Now I told you, you can't judge me on that moment. I mean, we're pretty young. But she's got the wheel, and my hand goes flying, and I slap her. She lets go, and I'm in the ditch, and in that ditch, and in this ditch, and that ditch. And I'm back on the road, and I'm like, <laughs> driving down the road. <laughs> and so I, I got to that moment where I'm like, I want to look over. Like, what is the matter with you? And I look over, and Angie's holding her face, and she's looking at me, and she's like. And I thought, yeah, I'm sleeping in the bathroom and locking the door tonight. <laughs> Now, I just shared one of our worst moments in marriage. But make no mistake about it, for the battling that was going on there for us, it was the enemy. It was darkness in the midst of what I could think was light. I was deceived into thinking I'm chasing after God and it's so godly, and yet I can't minister to the person that God has given me that's most important to me. Let me tell you right now, you're talking about coming to a revelation of that is not the way to treat your spouse and you made sure I knew that's not the way I was going to treat her it started with my anger her reaction to my behavior and then of course my reaction to hers and then leading to a moment that could have been highly destructive to our relationship wouldn't that be correct and instead um, I had to process that and repent isn't that right honey and Angie um, I said well I said, I'm sorry, I should have never done that. I really made that all a bad environment for us, da-da-da. And Angie looked at me and went, you did. <laughs> I said, well, are you going to apologize for what she did? No. <laughs> now, the joke for us is Angie doesn't apologize, she changes. I apologize, you know profusely and it takes me time to change but Angie may not apologize but she'll change and any other marriages like that like could you just apologize it's like I don't need to apologize I changed what I'm doing and it's like you know so those of us who are really wrapped up in the importance of words well it's important for you to say it uh, versus action uh, we're, we're different the way we approach things some of us have to say it and say it and talk ourselves into it while others make the change and then uh, they may come to that point now let me say, I, I want to assure you, Angie has apologized to me at least a dozen times over 32 years of marriage. But Angie has changed action uh, way faster, even though I've given the words more. Do you hear what I'm saying? He is, is God in the midst of that. It was always our thing. And I told you one other story. How real the devil is. He doesn't care how he gets in. Story I've shared sometimes is we got to year seven of marriage, I think it was, or eight. Danielle, Danielle when she, somewhere around there. And we were kind of on the, the edge. I hope if your marriage is going through rough times today that you understand the devil wants to destroy your marriage. So that he can destroy your family, so he can destroy extended relationships and so on. 
we were at it. Both of us loved God enough and respected his word enough that all we had to do was hear it. Truly hear it. To be challenged. Confronted in our behaviors. Understanding that the only way that we could get it right was to fall into his grace. We were at it fighting on the verge of divorce. Uh, and our daughter Danielle, at, how old was she then? Four? Five. Was back, all the kids were playing in the room, all the kids were playing, and we're out there fighting. And Danielle walks up between us. We didn't even see her walk in the room. She walks up between us, and she gets between us, and she said, God said, stop. Put her hand on our bellies. And we both looked straight down. We didn't even know she was there until she said it. We looked straight down at her, and she just walked right back to the room and started playing again. And when we looked at each other, and I went, I'm going to my office. She goes, I'm going to the bedroom. <laughs> we went our separate ways. And we both began to draw near to God concerning the situation. And as we drew near to God, isn't it interesting, God brought us back together the way we're meant. What God brings together, let no man separate. Does that make sense to you? Now, I think I've shared numerous times, understand if you've been through a divorce or something like that, God's grace is a wonderful thing. It'll give you a chance to begin again. But his truths are everlasting, and if you can grab a hold of those, you'll experience, you'll experience that transformation to where, because I think we need to know, like, right, it may not work here, and I might move on and have another chance, but I'm going to face some of the same problems, you know? And sooner or later, I've got to have what God says about it so that I can actually enjoy the life that he has promised to give. But ultimately, here's the thing you have to understand out of this, is that at some point when things are falling apart and they don't look like what God said they look like or, meant to be, or they're meant to be, somehow we've received a lie. We believe the lie over the truth. And our daughter Danielle, when she did that, spoke truth. What we were doing did not, doing did not honor God. And she speaks that to us and it breaks us out of our deception and makes us go and reflect. And in the midst of that reflection, God gets a hold of our heart and begins to cause us to let go of the lie and embrace the truth. So when we receive a lie, we empower the liar. If we receive a lie, we empower the liar in our life. Strongholds develop. They steal our focus when we need to be clear in our thought. They steal our focus when we need to be clear in our thought. They erode our confidence when we need to be courageous in our faith. They consume our emotional energy when we need to be restful in our action. They suck the emotional energy out of you when there needs to be, you know, take my yoke, it's easy, and my burden is life. There needs to be a restfulness in the actions that we take in our life. They distract us from our purpose we need to always be mindful of our cause, that we have been called, that we have been anointed with an, an anointing from the Holy One. And when we get distracted like that, we lose sight of our calls, and it robs us of the life that God intends us to live. It robs us of the life, which actually is the next one, robs us of the life that God intended for us. And we need to be walking in our calling if we want to experience that. What is your calling? What's God calling you to do? Because you can guarantee the enemy at all costs wants to keep you from doing that. 
He wants to distract you. He wants to redirect you. Don't let him do it. When we receive the lie, we empower the liar. Now this is three realities that I want to wrap up today for you to understand. And as we go into it, we're going to, we're going to be instructing you over the next uh, few weeks to know how to wage spiritual warfare. But I want to first identify this. Three realities you need to understand where spiritual warfare is concerned. The devil is real. He's real. Don't let him deceive you into thinking otherwise. Don't let people say, well, the devil's just a fictitious, you know, this fictitious person that people made up to, to cause people to fear and do what's right. No, no, no. The devil's real. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen says, and no wonder for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. Revelation 12, 7 through 9. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough. And they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devil. Or Satan who leads the whole world astray. Deception. He was hurled to the earth. And his angels with him. That's the devil and demons, the, 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 these uh, spiritual forces of wickedness in high places, the, these spirits that are at work to manipulate. Even as we see our society today all around the world, there's so much that's shifting and moving stronger and stronger towards the spirit of Antichrist. And as Jesus said, the spirit of Antichrist is already at work within, within the, the earth even when he was walking the earth, the spirit of Antichrist is already at work. But that spirit is manifesting itself more and more and more. And this is what I would say to you. That some of the things, the evils that we see today, that people don't even blink at, were things that would appall us a hundred years ago. It would blow us away that anything like that would be allowed. I, I, I would submit to you some of these uh, posts I've seen online where uh, school boards and that allow, um, if you will, drag queens to come in and, and teach kids and, and, and they do these things where they're, they're twerking in front of the kids and they're doing all kinds of just evil, uh, immoral things around our children. You think about the things that are being set in our society and it is looking more and more like the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, which the Bible says that that's what it would be like, that it would be like the days of Noah. They're marrying and drinking and, and, and celebrating and partying and all of that stuff and it, as if the day would never come. And that's what people's starting to do more and more than it's ever existed. Make no mistake about it. Things are aligning themselves in this world for the return of our Lord and Savior. And it would be wise of us to reflect on the fact that the spirit of Antichrist is moving things to where unite the whole world around the agenda of the Antichrist. Know that there will be a deception of talking about being for unity and for the better, betterment of mankind, but the, but the truth of it is this, is it's for the enslavement of mankind. Christ, he came to set us free. And we can walk in that freedom no matter what goes on around us in the world because we know that God is in control and that the, the end of that matter will be determined by him, not by the Antichrist. Amen? Number two, that the devil's goal is to destroy us. John 10.10, 10, the thief comes only to steal, steal, kill, and destroy. 
In Revelation 13, 7, it says this, And it was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. That's where the full manifestation of Antichrist will come. This battle has played out for millennia. But it is coming to its close end. I don't know the day and I don't know the hour. Do not mistake what I'm saying. But I know there's never been a time in biblical prophecy where there's been so much alignment to things that had to happen before the return of Christ. And you may not know, but it talks about that, that there, are, there are spirits that have been bound and chained. In, in the scriptures, it speaks to that the, the river Euphrates will, will dry up. And when the river Euphrates dries up, they'll be unleashed again. And that's the culmination of this battle that's been going on for so long. But ultimately understand, it's like, why would God allow that? These things run their course because of the free will of mankind as God established it. They run their course because God doesn't interfere with the way he created the world. But rather came, remember Jesus came, died on the cross, he humbled himself, became, came to us in flesh like us and condemned sin. But know that this has a final work and all these things will culminate with that moment where once and forevermore it will be over the end of the age is what the bible refers to revelation 19 20 then the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped his image these two were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone revelation 20 and 10 the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now look up here for a second. Darcy, would you come to the keys? Let me say this to you. We start talking about stuff like this. And I don't know about you, but even for myself, I live in this world. I see the things going on around me. And it's kind of like, man, that's kind of far-fetched. Can I get an honest amen on that? Like, you know, you read that and it's like, wow, that's kind of, that's way out there. That's like watching a movie. And I'll say this, Hollywood takes the Bible and they get the movies really, really wrong. Let me say that, right? Anybody ever see the movie Noah? Where he's talking to a bunch of rocks that's called Elohim? That's not the Elohim, let me tell you right now. The Elohim is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They, they, they was, they are, and are to come they've always been when it started in the book of Genesis if you go back and you read in the book of Genesis let us Elohim make God or make man in our own image mankind men women in this room today who are made in the image and likeness of God the devil perverted so much in the garden when he said Eat of what God told you not to eat. In other words, use your free will to be your own God. And unfortunately, they did. And they found out very quickly when God said, the day you eat of it, you'll surely die. They were deceived. Deception is something we were subjected to because of Adam and Eve in the garden. And, and they subjected themselves to accept what Satan, he was back there working his lies and his deception. 
and they received that and therefore they were robbed of life the day you eat of it you should surely die and all of us are born into futility that's what the bible says about in adam we're born into futility what's the futility i'm born alive to die but god created us that we might live and so the second adam comes and he dies in flesh gives his life so that our free will can be exercised again the way that God created us that we would choose life I set before you in other words death is there but I set before you life and death are there choose life that you may live and every single day we're faced with ways of thinking that are that are those deceiving lies like do it your way you do you I don't know about you, but I want to do what Christ has called me to do. What he gave his life for me to do, to live life. So that I can experience the fullness of life that God sent his son. I'll tell you the greatest thing that you can do. If you want to fight the good fight, do good spiritual warfare so that the devil doesn't deceive you or overcome you. in your life and relationships is to draw near to Jesus draw near to Christ the Bible says if you draw near to God resist the devil he will flee from he'll run stand to your feet if you would how many ever seen that uh, video it's like a little video clip that, that circulated for a long time where you got a little kitty cat he's meow meow and it's, it's got like uh, a wolf or whatever is coming to, to eat him and he's meow meow right and, and the wolf's there and all of a sudden a big old lion comes behind the kitty cat and the kitty meow and as he meows the lion roars and the wolf takes off running maybe you haven't seen that but it is hilarious but that's kind of what it's like right and us in our faith and our trust in God yeah it isn't even close to who Christ is it's not even close to who he is but we do it and what happens is, is it's kind of like when we resist the devil, knowing that God is near us, we resist him. Let me just say meow with all the faith that you've got and watch the lion of the tribe of Judah roar behind you and your enemy flee from you in this life. Can you say amen? Now I want to say this. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed. And could you give me at least a half mass, lift, half mass, lift the hands to heaven. You can go full mass if you want. I don't know what your battle is right now. I do not know what you're fighting. I do not know what your struggle may be. Maybe you're battling to just make ends meet for your family. Maybe you're battling for your marriage, your relationships, for your family, for your children. Whatever that battle is, I'm telling you the victory is near you if you'll just look to Christ, call out to him and help, invite him let me say it might be an addiction of some kind and I want you to know that Christ wants to break that addiction off your life it might be anxiety and fear depression, God wants to break it off of your life, you're in a spiritual battle right now that he wants you to have the victory in but you gotta call out to him, because he's the only one truly capable giving you the victory. The Bible says that Christ, it is Christ that gives us the victory. He's the one that makes you an overcomer. 
Even though you may not feel like it, you might feel like that little kitty cat, but I'm telling you, he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And if you'll reach out in faith, he will roar over your situation and that devil will flee from you. Heavenly Father, right now in Jesus' name, I pray for your people. Those watching us online today, I pray in Jesus' name, your anointing, Father God, would flow right through that computer screen. That God, your presence would set down on your people. You would break those yokes off of them. God, lift their heavy burdens. God, give them a confidence. Give them a confidence in you, not in themselves, but in you and who they are in Christ Jesus. May they know the authority that you have given them as a believer in Christ Jesus. And may they declare, God, I pray that they, they, they wake in the morning. God, they, that they would know the strength of a memorial prayer. Father, one that is offered each and every day until the breakthrough. Father, even for our prayer team, when we, when we give them prayers to pray, we call it the push team. Pray until something happens. That God, your people would pray until you show up, God, and you work a miracle in their life. And Father, the greatest weapon we have, the greatest weapon we have, we know that you love us, but God, to love you back and to be close with you, that God, we would have a confidence, God, that we wouldn't question if you want to do something for us, but God, we would know that old statement, we'd know in our knower. And no one can talk us out of it. And if, Father, we would wake and we would confront those things and speak against them and speak your word, God, into those situations. In Jesus' precious and his mighty name, and all God's people said this morning, amen. Hey, God bless you. Look forward to being with you next week. Because next week's all about the weapons you've been given through your Savior, Jesus Christ. God bless